0: Alright, so we're looking at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, and 2, 18 through 25. Let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Grass withers, flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever. So let's pray before we consider it further. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for this time to be in this room to be here with these people and most of all to be able to hear from you to gather in your presence and to read your words and Lord we know that these are your words that you've written them and so we would be foolish not to ask you to teach them to us and so we do exactly that we pray Lord that you will open our hearts and our ears and our minds so that we might see and hear the truth that you have for us Lord, we pray this uh, expectantly in Your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so before we begin uh, this semester and even just this sermon, let me say that uh, let me go on record as saying that I am indebted to uh, several people uh, for a lot of what we'll talk about. Um, campus ministers and other ministers uh, that I that I'm friends with that I have borrowed from, uh, guys like Les Newsom and Tim Keller, Ricky Jones and plenty of others, so I got to do my due diligence and say that uh, you know, some of this stuff is not original. Um, so this semester we're going to spend our time on Wednesday nights. Uh, every Wednesday night we're going to get together and look at the topic of dating, sex, marriage, relationships, kind of the whole deal, right? And basically what we're going to do is come together and see what the Bible has to say about these things. That's what we're going to do. And I'm going to guess that after saying that, I'm going to guess that you probably had one of three reactions. Uh, Number one, you might think that that sounds weird, right? You might think, what in the world would the Bible have to say about my dating life or my, uh, my interest in boys or girls or anything like that? There's no way that a book written, you know, at least 2,000 years ago could have anything to say about that. Number two, you might be bored uh, because you think you already know what the Bible says about these things, right? You think you do. Um, and you're bored because, you know, all right, dating, it says nothing about it. Um, sex, it says don't do it or think about it until you're married. And married, it says don't get divorced, right? You know, boom, game over, that's it. Um, or you might be excited. Uh, you might be excited because you think, um, all right, I'm going to hear the rules. He's going to talk from the Bible, and he's going to tell me what dating, and uh, he's going to tell me how to date God's way, and you know how to how to do it right, so that it'll work out for me, and give me some rules, and I'll be able to keep them, and we'll press on, right? And if that is one of your reactions, that's okay. I actually hope it is. I think that this semester is going to be great for you, um, because I think what you're going to see if you if you stick with us throughout this semester, as we begin to develop this theme. What you're going to see is that number one, the Bible has actually quite a lot to say about those things, uh, that it's going to be incredibly relevant to uh, our lives as college students, your lives as college students not college students, um, and that it's going to present itself in, in such a way as not to give you rules to follow, right, that if you do this, then you'll be blessed, and you'll find the husband or wife that you want, and you'll have 2.5 kids, and everything's going to be perfect. Um, I think what you'll find is it's going to get to the heart of these issues, that it's really going to begin to answer for us the why questions. Uh, Why do we have the desires that we have? Uh, Why do we want to be married so bad if we do? Um, Why why is dating so difficult? Why is it always hard? Uh, I think it's going to begin to sort out some of the confusion that we have about dating and marriage and all that stuff. And in fact, that's exactly what I want to talk about tonight is the confusion that surrounds it. My premise for the night is I want to suggest to you that I think that we're, that we're very confused about, about everything in that realm. right? About dating and sex and romance and marriage, the whole bit. And so I want to say two things. Number one, we're confused about sex, marriage and relationships. And then secondly that we can, I think, find some clarity in creation. So let's look at those things. First, I think that we're confused about relationships, about sex and marriage, and I say that because I think that in our culture at least we, we tend to think about it in two different ways. We're sort of torn as it were, uh, we bounce back and forth between two poles. Uh, the first is that we think that it's, it's something to value, right? Um, you know on the one hand you can tell from our culture that we're hopeless romantics, right? We all long for that fairy tale story where somebody comes in and, and sweeps us off our feet or we're the one that does the sweeping off the feet, right? And we ride off in the sunset and we're happy forever. Um, I mean, just look at, you know, some of the movies that we like, particularly maybe the ladies, right? Uh, and maybe these are dated, I don't know. But You've Got Mail, Sleepless in Seattle, The Notebook, Princess Bride, right? Okay, so these are from my generation, but you know you know them, right? Shrek. Beauty and the Beast, Titanic, whatever. Um, any movie where true love wins out in the end, right? Um, think about all the songs on the radio that you hear that, that are hopelessly romantic, um, that are either you know, lamenting the broken heart or they're talking about the new love that they found. It's generally country songs for some reason. Um, the TV shows like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, not that I watch it every time, um, but I do. The Bachelor, The Bachelor, it's a show that's dedicated to the, to the very concept that, that that one is out there and you can find them, right? Um, sex is obviously something that our culture longs for. You can look anywhere, it's everywhere, right? It sells every product. Uh, it's sort of sold RUF tonight, right? Um, and so, probably everybody in here has some sense in which they want to be in a, in a fulfilling relationship with somebody else. It's something that, something that, it's a notion that we hold on to that we want to, want to become a reality. It's something we value. But on the other hand, it's also something that we cheapen. It's something that we value, but it's also something that we, uh, that we, that we undervalue. That we cheapen it, we degrade it, right, at the same time. Um, we're incredibly cynical about it. Think about some of the other movies that we tend to watch, like something you know, something about Mary, the American Pie movies. You know, we could list tons of them, right? Uh, we see the same thing in, in movies: um, romance and sex and marriage is is dealt with with you know laughter, junior high humor, crude jokes. Um, it's just it's made fun of, right? Uh, any of those themes are really reduced to vulgarity. Uh, sexuality and love. And romance, really, are ideas that have that we've cheapened, that we've degraded on the one hand. All right, and so just in, in case you don't believe me, I want to give you sort of an illustration, right? Because you might be sitting there thinking, no, 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 I think, I, I don't agree, I think our culture really overvalues those things. You know, we overvalue sex. Uh, you know, like I just said, look around you, right? All right, but think about this. We'll take this trip with me. Imagine you're driving a class, right? And you accidentally cut a guy off and he speeds up around you, and he leans out the window, and he says "F you," right? Okay. Now, what's that guy trying to communicate to you? Is he trying to communicate to you that he wants to, he wants to, to intimately know you, and be in a deep uh, relationship with you, and really connect to you on your most personal level? Clearly not, right? Uh, All right, so now imagine though that a cop actually saw you do that and he pulls you over and he gives you a ticket for reckless driving and you got to pay a bunch of money and whatever, right? And so as soon as he pulls off, you're on your phone to your friend and you're telling your friend about it and you say, oh my gosh, I just got screwed by that cop, right? What are you saying? Are you saying that I really know that cop on the deepest level possible? We had an intimate connection. No. What are you saying? You're saying, no, he abused me. He took advantage of me. Right? It's in the way that we talk about. I mean, it's funny, but it's true. Right? So we find both at work at the same time. We're in this weird dilemma of it's something that we value and we still think is out there, and yet we're very cynical about it, and, and we sort of cheapen it at the same time. So what do we do? How do we find any clarity in this confusion? Well, I would suggest that we can find some clarity from looking at creation, which is why we read what we did. So I want to make two points. I think we see two spiritual realities coming out here in this text, uh, in our passage uh, in the regard that we're talking about. Number one, it's this. You and I are created, you and I were built to be in relationship. It's the way we were built. Alright, so let me begin by saying this, that the, the overarching story of the Bible, what the Bible is is all about is about a king God right who has created a kingdom and, and is bringing that kingdom to bear on this earth right uh, and, and so here in Genesis one and two we get account, we get the account of God the king creating this world and everything in it including us. And did you notice in verse in uh, what, 126 I think this is going to begin to help us sort out our confusion. Did you notice that God says, "Let us make man in our image." God says, "Us and our." Now, why would He do that? Well, in the Bible, from as you can see from page one all the way through, what we see is that God is God is one. There is one true God, and yet at the same time, somehow in some way, God exists as Three, right? This is what we call the Trinity, right? Three in one, and one in three. You have God the Father, the King, the King who rules over everything, reigns over everything. You have God the Son, Jesus Christ, who atones for the King's people, who who reigns forever as the eternal High Priest for us. And then you have the Holy Spirit that proceeds from the Father and the Son. All are equally God. And God always exists as three and yet always as one. Now look, how, how do you understand that? I don't know, right? Uh, can you fully grasp that? No, can I? No. And the Bible doesn't really go out of its way to explain it. It just holds it up that it's true. Okay? So why do I belabor, uh, go into this little theological lesson about the Trinity? Well, for this reason. So that you can see that God has always existed from eternity past, whatever that means God has always existed in community with himself. God has always and forever been in relationship even before we were here. God has always been in relationship and he says that he, the Bible tells us that he built us in his image and so that necessarily being created in god's image we are formatted. We're, we're hardwired. It's in our DNA. We're created to be relational people. It's, it's a part of who we are. As God is creating, the Bible says, you know, and God saw that it was good. It was good. It was good. And then in 2.18, after he creates man, all of a sudden sort of the, you know, the record scratches, the brakes get thrown on. And he says, it is not good that man should be alone. And so God creates woman. And I think that that begins to help us sort out some of our confusion. It it begins to explain at least why we long for relationship. Why we long to have somebody look at our soul and know us all the way to our bottom and still say, I think you're amazing. I see the bad stuff and the good stuff and I love you because we were built for it. We were built in God's image. He made us like like himself. That's why we feel like, that's why you feel like you've conquered the world, like there's nothing wrong in the world when you begin to um, date somebody new, right? When you fall in love. That's why it feels so good, because you were built for that. You're tapping into something that gets down to your soul. So what does that mean for us? Besides what we've already said? That means a couple of things. Number one, it means that it's, it's okay to long to be married. It's okay to want to be married. Now, it's not wrong to want to find somebody to bond your life with in an intimate relationship. In fact, it's a great thing. It also means that, that what goes on between, between a guy and a girl, uh, be it spiritually, physically, psychologically, emotionally, whatever, that what goes on between a guy and a girl is a big deal, right? It's a big deal. Um, God built it into the very fabric of who we are as people. Now, and hopefully that should be a little bit of a comfort to you because you begin to understand yourself a little bit, right? You begin to understand your desires. Um, you, You begin to understand why it's so hard to get over a breakup, right? Because it's it's not natural. It's not supposed to be that way in a sense. It's also, it also begins to explain why you feel so empty after a one-night stand. Because it, it, it's not supposed to be like that. It's not something that we should trivialize or take lightly. Uh, love, and marriage, and sex, and relationships, the whole bundle, right? Um... It's right to want it and to treat it with dignity. Secondly, and lastly, so we're created for relationship, and that helps us understand some confusion. But secondly, what I want us to see is that we're created, and I want to phrase it this way first, we're, we're created to change the world because of, because of the very fact that you're a person. You're created... With the purpose of of changing the world, or we could say it this way, of advancing a kingdom. So God did create all of mankind to exist in relationship, but that's not our ultimate end. Exist, you know, finding someone to to relate to is not the ultimate end of mankind. God, as the King, created mankind to be about the to be about the work of bringing His kingdom to bear on this earth. Uh, to to take his kingdom and to spread it out all over the world. That's what we were created for. So how do we know that? Well, because it's in our passage, right? It's what the Bible says. It goes back to this whole idea of us being made in God's image. In in biblical times in the ancient Near East, right, in Old Testament days, when a king, like a real king, not talking about God, when a king would conquer another land, Right, so you conquer a land, then you've got to go back home, right, to your capital or whatever. What you would do, what the king would do, is set up uh, an image of himself in that foreign land, uh, basically advertising to you know, anyone in that area, this is mine, right? He would set up some sort of statue or image of himself to show that all this land belongs to this guy, right? Even though he's not physically there himself, it's his, we even see that actually in the Bible, and in the book of Daniel. And so when, when Genesis tells us that we are made in God's image, that we are the image of God, that's what's being pictured here. That God as the king has set us up, has built us in his image and put us here on earth, right? To, to bring his kingdom to bear. Uh, we read it in verse one twenty 120, and uh, 128. God tells Adam and Eve what He wants them to do. To be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and birds of the heavens, etc., etc., right? He tells them to go out into the world and and mind the world for all of its potential. And now that sin has entered the world, right, what, what it looks like is us going out into the world to your little slice of the universe, or, you know, whatever it is, your job, your class, you know, your home life, your relationships, everything—to go into your little slice of the world and to push back the curse. Right? Are we sing it at Christmas. Far as the curse is found, operating as God's image. All right. So, what in the world does that have to do? How does that have anything to do with dating, sex, and marriage? Well, in this way. You have to see that God did create us to exist in relationships, but that relationships are not the ultimate end. And that's important because what we tend to do, a lot of our dysfunction comes in when we tend to make relationships our ultimate goal and our ultimate end. Right? We look, we think that everything is going to fall into place when I get married. You know, it's a broken world. And it's hard life. But if I could just get married, everything's going to be right. Or if I could just find a boyfriend or girlfriend, then everything's going to fall into place. And this, this quite frankly, wars against that, and says it is not our ultimate end. Our ultimate end is to is to be God's image, to push back the curse. And so let me end with this. Because you might be sitting there thinking, "All right, well that actually sounds pretty awful, thank you very much. That the only reason that God created me was so I could be his pawn, right? His, you know, he's created some drones, he wants to take over the world, and he's just using me, right? You know, I'm just a drone in his army. I want you to, I want to end with Revelation 21, 1 through 4. I want you to listen to this. Because this, this gives us a glimpse of what the kingdom looks like in the end. Okay? This is a picture of sort of the one day, someday. It says this. This is John writing about his vision. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride... Did you catch what, what John said there? That Not only does God not look at his people like drones in his army, right, pawns in his chess game of you know, conquering the world and bringing his kingdom, carrying out his will, it tells us that God loves his people so much that, that he, doesn't, he doesn't use them in that way, that he loves them so much that he marries himself to them really the story of the Bible, the story of this this king and this kingdom at the same time is really this dramatic love story that plays out. One in which God in the person of Jesus Christ is the groom and His people, those those that simply look to Jesus in faith, right, me and you, are His bride. He loves them so much. He loves us so much that he would marry himself to us for eternity. And so it's actually not true to say that we that we are not created ultimately for relationship, but we are created to advance a kingdom. It's actually that both are true at the same time. Because the central message of Christianity, and what I want you to hear tonight, and Lord willing what you will hear every week if you come back to RUF is that the central message of Christianity is, is, that, is the good news that the king that the king came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ and he gave himself that he didn't just come to die so people could be forgiven of their sins and so they could go to heaven and not go to hell. Okay, yeah, that's true. But he came to earth and he lived a perfect life and he died a terrible death so he could come and he could rescue his bride. So he could come and he could get you. He came so that the fairy tale can the fairy tale can be true, right? In fact, all those movies that we, that we like where love wins out in the end, it's just a hint. The reason we like them and it resonates with us and you cry if you're like me at everything is because it's just a hint, a taste of the gospel. There really is somebody that's going to come in and sweep you off your feet and ride off into the sunset, so to speak. And that person is Jesus Christ. He came to rescue his bride so he, could, so he could be with her, with us forever. And it's only in that relationship, right, only, in, only finding yourself in that relationship will begin to make sense of our other relationships. And so tonight, if you want that relationship, it's offered to you as it is always for free. It's by God's grace, and that's an invitation to you, and I invite you tonight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for just tonight just a taste just a little introduction of what, of what you say is true, that we can scarcely believe that you would love us so much that you would leave the glories of heaven and that you would come and live a perfect life so that you could give your righteousness to us and that you would die a terrible death one that we deserve to die so that we don't have to. And all because, Lord, for the joy that was set before you, which is your people. Jesus, I pray that that would be true of everyone in here tonight. I pray that, that grace would reign in our hearts and change our lives. Jesus, we pray it in your name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing one last song. Sorry? Uh, I'm not planning on one-wing standing around afterwards and have one.